Week five, how to be happy. If we haven't met yet, my name is Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and you are coming into the tail end of the movie, but that's okay. Like we do series is like for five weeks. And so you, this is the end of the movie, but uh, it hopefully will stand kind of on its own. Just to recap a little bit, uh, to kind of set us up today of where we've been, test to see if you've been paying attention or following online on our website or our app if you missed a Sunday. And we've talked about what makes us happy and what doesn't make us happy, and therefore how to be happy. And so a little fill in the blank, what is the thing that will not make you happy? Anybody? It's a blank thing, blank thing. What is the thing? There you go, I heard it over here. No thing, no thing, not nothing, no thing. No thing will make you happy. You cannot buy uh, enough to make you happy. You cannot travel enough to make you happy. You cannot live and move to different places, and then that'll make you happy. Um, that's not where happiness comes from. As, as Caitlin shared last week, um, some of those things will bring us pleasure, and pleasure is like momentary. Pleasure is in the moment. It, it may last even a few weeks, but eventually it fades over time, or you forget about it. That, that's pleasure makes us feel good for a moment. Happiness, or as we talked about in week three, so two weeks ago in this series, we talked about blessedness. Blessedness or happiness is something that lasts. It transcends um, hard work. It transcends suffering. It even transcends death when we talk about happiness in the biblical sense of happiness. And so no thing is ever going to get you to that place. The thing that makes a difference when it comes to happiness is relationships. Happiness is relational. Happiness is relational. If you look at the quality of your relationships with others and those people around you, if you look at your relationship with yourself, um, and you may disagree with that, and that's okay, but this, but that's okay, um, your relationship with your heavenly father, the quality of that relationship, I think ultimately above all things, will determine your happiness. So the quality of your relationships matter. And so today um, we're going to focus on one of those relationships. Um, it's one relationship that I think um, most of us, regardless of if we're Christian or not, this is going to put almost all of us in the room, not all of us, but most of us in the room, it's going to make us a little uncomfortable. It's going to be something we didn't talk a lot, you didn't learn a lot about growing up in church, if you grew up in church, um, or it's something that's a little bit more um, uh, mystical, it's a little more difficult to reason out completely, is what we're going to talk about today. But it is a, a relationship that is so in, in important and so critical in your happiness that I couldn't not talk about it. Um, even though for some of us, we're going to have to leave wrestling with some things. Uh, it's not all going to be nice and neat and easy. Uh, some of us, it could be the step that we've been, you know, not taking um, to help us to not only find happiness, um, but in our faith. And, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so especially if, you know, happiness is your goal in life, which I think it's for most of us, um, I hope you pay attention. I think today will be worth it. Um, now, to get to there, we have to do a lot of setup, okay? And it's helpful setup, but we kind of got to really tee the ball up on this one um, so it kind of connects, hopefully it connects, at the end of today's message. And to do that, we're going to jump in right into some verses. Um, and it's a verse... Uh, that's a 2,000-year-old verse that I think is super relevant today, and I really, I just, I love this verse. It's just, it's a verse that just really transcends time and culture and community and, and is really relevant today. Here's the start of the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, 
I have the right to do anything you say. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you all, all my listeners, all my audience, the church in Corinth, is, he was writing a letter to a church. Um, it was, you know, like a few page letter. We call it a book now, which it really isn't a book. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church much like this. It was probably about the same size. That's how big a church was. It was a, a handful of houses. So you'd all meet in houses. And then once in a while, when it was safe to do th- so, because it wasn't safe to be Christian in those days, then we'd get together and, and we'd have these letters read aloud in front of us. And so, somebody would come along, bring the letter and read it. And he was addressing some issues in the church of Corinth. And he said, you all know that moment when you say, I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it with whom I want to do it with, because I have the right to do anything I want. Don't you dare tell me what to do. Has that ever happened in modern day U.S. society? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. It wasn't a trick question. Yeah, it was yes, yes. Um, yeah, uh, growing up in elementary school, um, I remember there was this, you remember comebacks? I mean, we have them as adults now, but they're just a little more subtle. Um, and so in, in elementary school, this was a really famous comeback is, you know, somebody would say like, well, you can't do that or that's not right. You're not supposed to do that. And then the response was, it's a free country. And as an elementary student, at least for me and my intellectual capacity, I had no good comeback to that. Because I was like, as far as I know, it is a free country. I mean, that's why we stand up and pledge allegiance and all that stuff to, you know, freedom. And so, hey, you get to do whatever you want to do. When you want to do it, with whom you want to do it with, it's a free country. Um, And we're going to unpack that more in the fall. It's going to be really intense and probably painful for some of you in October. So you should definitely mark your calendars for October. That's going to be a blast. Um, But we just need to talk about it. So we are. Anyways, um, so you're not going to want to miss that. But the point is, we don't like people telling us what to do, right? Why? Well, generally speaking, it's because we think that if we make the decisions for our own life, we will be happier, Is that fair? We want the right to say what we want to do when we want to do it because we believe in our minds that we're protecting our happiness. And to take those away from us means that we may not be as happy as if we could make those decisions ourselves. I'll give you some examples. And as I do, I just want you to do a little self-reflection, okay? Just internalize a little bit and recognize when I stumble on a topic that makes you go, uh, you know, a little bit, okay? Just inside. Maybe it sounds different than a, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, whatever works for you, you know, it makes you feel a little squeamish inside, okay? Here's some topics that people really don't like it if you tell them what to do or infringe on their rights, okay? contentious. Okay. Who and how to date other people? What or how many weapons you can or cannot have? When you can or cannot or should not or should wear a mask? Your healthcare decisions how to vote, the car to own, independent of how much gas mileage it does or does not get. Right now, we're all collectively hoping it gets better gas mileage, but that's not the point. In a normal, normal season, okay. Do you, do you like it when people tell you what to do, or your boss tells you what projects to work on, or your in-laws or your own parents tell you how to parent? 
or family members push and pull on your behavior even as an adult, even as a, an adult who's been an adult for a long time. Think about that. See, we believe, we believe if someone restricts our right to do something, we won't be happy or we won't be as happy as we could be. I mean, what out of those topics that I said make you went, you know, a little stress? There was a little stress associated. It was a topic that didn't make you jump for joy, right? Because it's contentious. There's tension around it because it's encroaching on your ability to make a decision for yourself. Therefore, it upsets you and it steals your happiness, doesn't it? Those topics are topics that steal your happiness. And you know what's funny is, I think this is where some of us struggle with God. This is why we keep God here. You know, we can see him, we kind of know him, we know him up here, but we keep him at a distance. This is why we struggle with him. Because deep down, you know, somewhere in here, you think, you think you won't be happy if you give your life to him. Because the stereotype of Christianity and some of the rules and the commandments and all that stuff tells you that if you give your life to him and you follow him, that means you're going to have less rights. You're not going to be able to do everything that you may want to do. It's going to take the fun out of life. It's going to take the happiness out of life. And you don't want to give up that freedom. And so you say no to God in the name of protecting your happiness. Or, and I love this phrase, this is, oh, I love this phrase. Or in the name of protecting your God-given rights. Because God gave you those rights. It might not be in the Bible, but let's not dwell on that. To which Paul makes a brilliant an overly simple response to this statement, you say that you have the right to do anything. And a statement, I'm just telling you, and I'm including myself in this, a lot of times we are just too blind and too busy to see the truth of this simple, simple statement. Here's what he says. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. Or in Greek, the other way to say this word is profitable. Something that gives you a return on your investment. It doesn't just cover your cost, but it gives you more than you put in. But not everything you can do, even though it may be your right, is beneficial. Side note, anytime an author repeats something in the Bible, you need to pay attention. Okay? They don't have a problem. They're just trying to emphasize something. They're trying to tell you it's really, really important because for Paul to send this letter to the church in Corinth, it probably cost him at least a thousand bucks, if not a couple thousand in today's terms because it was expensive to pull out a piece of paper, either write it yourself or scribe it and then mail it or send it with someone all the way there. I mean, it, the value of it was tremendous. Each word was a couple dollars itself. And so to repeat something is saying like, hey, this really matters, right? You need to pay attention. So look at what the next part of this verse says. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is constructive. Not everything will strengthen you. Not everything will help you grow. Not everything is a good foundation to build your life on. And you know this to be true. I'm just telling you, like when I try to put my kids down for a nap, 
okay, or my wife does, this is nap time for us. Hey, sweethearts, it's time to go to bed. And the response is, (laughs) yes, it is no, it is no. And you all said it much nicer. Um, Yeah, and maybe you online chatted it, I don't know. But yeah, it's no, okay? And and here's what I wanna say to them, though they wouldn't be able to process. Listen, my children, you absolutely have that right. You don't have to go to bed. However, if you don't, everyone's happiness will be gone. (laughs) Right? You have that right, but it doesn't mean it's right. Two days ago, okay, two days ago, we were trying to leave as a family, okay, and I was going to drive, so I needed my sunglasses. And I go to get my sunglasses, and there is uh, a screw that's loose, and so when this particular screw gets loose, the sunglasses open too wide, and I have a big head, figuratively and, and literally. And so, um, <laughs> it took someone a little longer online if you missed that. Okay. Um, or that was sarcasm, one of the two. It wasn't, okay. Um, anyways, so I go around and I'm like, I got to get this screw put in so my sunglasses don't fall off my head while I'm driving because I really like these pairs of sunglasses. And so what do I do? Well, I can do anything I want to do to get the screw back in. So I keep start hunting through my office trying to find something that will, you know, screw in the screw. And so here's a pair of keys. I don't even know what they go to. I don't know why they're sitting on my desk, but I tried to use this. It was too small. I got out, you know, these little thingies, the little chomper thingies, and I tried to use that, but that was way too big. I even got out. I found a penny. So I got out a penny, and that, I don't know why I thought that that was going to work at this point in the, the whole process. And so here I am trying to screw the screw, and I just, eventually, I give up because what we needed to go, and Taylor was running behind, and I get in the car or whatever, and I say, hey, step, you know, I'm trying to get the screw in, and my wife pulls out. I kid you not. I lost my bag. I kid you not. She pulls out and says, here you go. It is literally... A Delta Vision screwdriver for your sunglasses. Look at that mini cute little screwdriver. There you have it. Okay. So what's Paul's point in all of that? The point is, Taylor, you can try to fix your screw you can try to fix your sunglasses as much as you want. You just sit there, little buddy, with that penny all day long and you just have fun with that. Knock yourself out. Doesn't mean it's gonna work though. Doesn't mean it's smart. Doesn't mean it's beneficial or constructive, but you go right ahead, little guy, and see what you can accomplish. Because your family, while you're trying to do this, is trying to leave to get going. And, and let's be honest, Taylor, you're kind of just making it about you. Because isn't that true? So often our pursuit of happiness is focused on who? Us, us. And what does Paul say in the next verse? He says, you have the right to do anything, but you should seek not your, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. The good of others. Because you're not thinking about others. And this is why this whole thing about happiness is so relational. You can do whatever you want. It may not be beneficial, and it's probably not going to help others. Think about it this way. Which of these two f- statements, this statement, no one should seek their own good, so people seeking their own good, or you should seek the good of others, has really defined and created a lot of the discourse in our nation today. The first one, people seeking their own good over the good of others. They're wanting to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, with whom they want to do it with, and that's their right. 
even though it may not be the best for others. But I promise you, when you start serving others, when you consider the good of others, happiness will follow. But this is only part of the solution. In fact, this is kind of like anecdotal in Paul's whole explanation of all this stuff. There, and, and we've talked at great length in this series about that part so far. So you, if you have questions, you can go back and read it, uh, read it uh, or listen to it at home and, and go read your Bibles when you get home. There is one more strange and uncommon relationship that not only will give freedom, but ultimately will give you happiness. And to get that, we have to jump four chapters back in 1 Corinthians to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which is going to sound super familiar. Here's chapter six. I have the right to do anything you say. Wait a second. I've heard this before. But not everything is beneficial. Sounds like a direct quote. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Why is Paul repeating it again? Because this is so important. And Paul is trying to address an issue in the church in Corinth related to food and sex. Two topics that even today are at the center of debates over freedom, right? 2,000 years later, you'd think we've learned some things and grown, but (laughs) we're still here, you know? And you can go and you can read when you get home, 1 Corinthians 6 and 10, and you can read about the debates that they were having in the church of Corinth, but essentially a bunch of Christians were trying to live like pagans and then chalking up their, you know, decisions and their rights to, well, it's just my religious freedom to have sex with prostitutes and all this stuff. And Paul's like, (laughs) that's not how that works. You have the right, but it doesn't mean it's right. And Paul says, The main issue at the heart of all this is relational and it's the fact that you're missing a truth about a relationship you have the potential to have, but in so many cases, you're not. And it will help you navigate your rights and it will help navigate your happiness in a way that you have probably never experienced before. And here is the key to that relationship. It's a very common verse. If you grew up in church, you probably heard it. I've talked about it a lot here at Infused. Here's the verse. Do you not know? And he says this because they didn't know. At least their behavior indicated that they didn't know. They may have known it up here, but they weren't getting it in here. Do you not know, Corinthians, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is inside of you, whom you have received from God? Don't you know that? To which we say, Okay, Taylor, okay, yeah, I mean, I've heard that verse before, but to be honest, it's a little strange. Like, God's spirit is in me. I I don't know about you, but me personally, like growing up in church, we'd talk about the Holy Spirit and and we'd sing songs about the Holy Spirit. We'd, you know, we'd have, um, not chants, but, you know, like responsive singing um, about things. And, and often it would involve the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and cleansing us from all unrighteousness and, and those kinds of things. And so in here I knew it, But I can honestly say, as far as it being inside of me, that was not a concept that I was totally comfortable with and and, uh, understood at all. And I'm going to explain the Holy Spirit more in a series in November and December. I'm setting you up for the fall here with all the series we got coming up. But 
to give you a, a quick, just uh, way oversimplified version of this, um, we have phrases in our culture um, today like um, the phrase, well, I'll be there in spirit, or you were there in spirit. Well, what, what does that phrase mean? It means um, even though that person physically isn't there, that we physically can't touch and see them, we feel their presence and we appreciate their presence. And we consider that they are present even though we cannot see or touch them. Why? Because the relationship with that individual is so strong, it transcends physically being in the room. But you can still feel them and you know them and you care about them and you know how they make you feel even though they're not in the room. Therefore, we have that expression. You're with us in spirit. And what Paul's saying is, no, 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 the Spirit of God is literally residing in you, that each and every one of you, even today in this room, you are literally temples on legs, walking around. And why does this matter? Why does this matter to our joy? Why does this matter to our happiness? I'm so glad you asked. I want to give you some reasons why. Because isn't it true, reason number one, when you're walking through life and you're going through a hard time, is it easier to go through that hard time alone or together? Happiness. You're going through a happy time, a good time. Is it more fun to go through that good time alone or together? Of course, it's together. You're happier together. So imagine, just imagine, even if you're not a Christian, imagine there is a God that so loves you, he wants you to feel his love and his presence every day. In fact, he just wants to simply be with you every day in here. Do you not think, if we just imagine that, that, that could make your life better? That, that, that the loneliness you may have felt in your past is no longer your present or your future because he, you literally feel like he is with you. My argument is this, we, God and humanity are better together. God's probably fine, but, but we're definitely better together. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter one and two, we were meant to dwell with him and be present with him. And then we kind of broke that. And that's why a lot of times we feel loneliness and isolation and fear because we don't have the presence of God that we were meant to, created to have from the very beginning. This kind of presence goes beyond the physical because people leave, right? I mean, it's nice to have people with us, but eventually even the closest of those around us will be away from us for a period of time. This is a presence that's with us, supporting us all the time. And when it does, it bears fruit. There are outcomes of it. We call it the fruit of the spirit. Paul talks about this in a letter that he sent to the church in Galatia, which was another church in another place that he said, I gotta talk to you, I gotta help you out. And here's what I wanna do. And I wanna explain the fruit of the spirit. This fruit of the spirit, what does the fruit of the spirit bring us? Paul says, it says the fruit of it, when we have his presence inside of us, the outcome of it is love, is joy, 
is kindness, is goodness, is self-control. Are those not qualities that, boy, they just seem like they'd make life better. Joy, love, it is happiness. It is the qualities that we would describe that are associated with happy people. Are not happy people um, more likely to forgive? Are not happy people more likely to be merciful and patient? Yes, the answer is yes. And so if God wanted to fill you up with him so that you could bear that and feel that inside, and then to the extent that you just wanna share it with other people, so much so that you just want to share that love and that joy with other people, then you go and you move from Seattle here to Iowa City and you start a church. That's what you do because you're so overwhelmed by that goodness, you want it to be available to others. It makes life better. And so you wanna share it. The second reason is this. The second reason you need God's spirit in you, in your heart, is that so you know God. It's very difficult to get to know someone that you keep at arm's length. It's very difficult, and this is so important, it's very difficult to trust someone that you keep at arm's length. But once you trust them and you invite them into your life, into your heart, into yourself, you get to know their intentions. And that their intention is not to harm you, but to help you. To not take your rights away, but to, in fact, to give you freedom. So when Jesus says, so that way, when Jesus says you should do this or you shouldn't do this, you don't look at Jesus and say, you can't tell me what to do, mister. Your response is, I trust you. I trust that what you want for me, God, is genuinely best for me. Otherwise, we'll remain distant from him and we'll remain unsure of him. It's just like what happens with my kids when they don't want a nap. I get that they don't want a nap. I, on the other hand, do want a nap. They don't want a nap though. And I understand that season of life. But deep down, come on, think about this. If you have kids or, or grandkids or um, you know, aunt, nephews, nieces, any, any kind of kid relationship, deep down, think about your own childhood for that matter. Deep down, when your parents told you it was time for bed, did you wanna go? No. Did you feel, um, if you were in a household that was healthy and safe and you felt that love and that safety that I try to give my kids every single day, I try to give them that every day. I try to be present with them, engage with them like God wants to be with us. Do they grow up hating me for making them go to bed or take a nap? No. Why is that? Why is that? that they, they'll scream and yell and kick all the way to the bedroom. I'm just telling you, that's what happens in our household. Just because we're pastors don't make it go easier, okay? Um, well, it makes me more at peace, but beyond that. They're still kicking and screaming, but do they wait, grow up and say, you hurt me, mom and dad? No, because why? Because deep down at the core of it, they know I'm not taking their rights away. They know I'm not encroaching on their freedom. They know deep down that I have their best interests in mind and they're willing to ultimately fall asleep and rest because they know ultimately they will be freer for it. That I'm ultimately trying to give them freedom they wouldn't already have. I'm trying to give them freedom from anger. I'm trying to give them freedom from exhaustion and pain and headaches and all the things associated with a lack of sleep. I'm trying to love them and replace their energy 
and replace their joy. And sure, they don't want to do it, but deep down in their heart of hearts, because they've allowed me to be present in their hearts and they know my love and they feel my presence, they trust me. And therefore, ultimately, they are happier. And their lives will be happier. Because without the Spirit of God, faith is only up here. Faith is only up here. And up here, all you can do up here is think that God exists. You can tell yourself you trust, but you know this. Trust comes from in here. There's just it's this weird thing. It's just in here. Love comes from in here. You feel it in here. It overwhelms you in here. When you cry in a movie, or at least I cry at movies, it comes from in here. Relationship building. Feeling his presence in here. I know this is a lot to ask you. I know this is all kind of weird and strange for some of you. I get that, but just... just Wrestle with this question for a second. What is a temple without God in it? What is a temple, in other words, you all, without God? Not a trick question. The answer is empty. It's empty. And when you're empty, you feel lost, you feel confused, you feel directionless, you feel unhappy, you feel like there's a void. And so we try to fill the void with people and things and jobs and goals. And we fight for rights and freedoms that apparently God's already given us, but we just can't be at peace with the fact that God's given us because somebody's trying to take it away, even though God is so much greater than all of that. I mean, what in the world? Maybe, just maybe, could it be that the thing you're missing is not your rights, but the God who gave it to you. And his spirit in your heart, defining your happiness, not the world around you. Maybe the issue is, I'm sorry to say, but it's you. Not in a bad way, but in a prideful way. Keeping God at arm's length instead of letting his love in. Because my friends, come on, you know this. Whether it be the United States or anywhere else, someone, someone or some group is always gonna limit your freedom and your rights to choose. Your heavenly father even does that. He doesn't stop you, but he sure tells you what to do and what not to do. But that's what a good father does, isn't it? That's what a good mother does, isn't it? And just because you may be limited, just because God puts guardrails around you, doesn't need to steal your happiness or your joy or your contentment or your confidence or your identity. It just keeps you safe. It just reminds you that there is a God that loves you. I mean, come on, when Christians in Iran, in the underground church become a member it is not uncommon for them to have to sign a document that says, by professing your faith in Christ and becoming a member of this church, there is a reasonable chance that you could lose your life for your faith and your Lord and your King. Your ultimate right, you could lose. And what do Christians do? They sign it anyways, why? Why do they sing songs of worship and love their neighbor and still in the midst of an impress, oppressive environment have joy and patience? Why? Because their temple, they themselves are full. 
to deny faith is to deny the real, because to them, to deny faith in Christ and their trust in Christ is to deny the real and present spirit that they feel inside them and they just can't do it. They can't say no. That's why people are martyrs sometimes is because it would just be so blatantly untrue to say that the God of the universe is not alive well because he's present in them. The spirit inside them is greater than any worry, fear, and pain around them. And my friends, that's just what we want for you. That's what your heavenly father wants for you. And so I wanna encourage you, wrestle with this. If you're walking out and this is still strange and oh, you got some music playing in the background, Taylor, and all that stuff, and I get that. But sometimes we just gotta relax and reflect and feel our spirit stir a little bit to be willing to let the presence of our Father in to fill us with our, His goodness and His love and His presence. So wrestle with it. Or for some of you, you need to start praying regularly about it. You need to start praying regularly. God's Spirit's gonna fill your life. And you become a living, breathing temple of the Most High God because that's what he created you to be. That's your ultimate purpose. At the very beginning, that's when it was all good, is when we were all in his presence. And if God considers himself to be a good, good father, or you consider him to be a good, good father, then he wants to be present with you, to help you, to guide you, and to bring you to the joy that I'm just telling you, and the peace that can only be found in him. Don't be afraid, but trust. If you would pray with me, bow your heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is not easy to let go of our anger. It's not easy to let go of our pride and our fear and all the things that our surroundings and our environment and our culture and our, maybe even our families of origins and all that have kind of imposed upon us. It is difficult to recognize where that is even at, in our hearts. So Lord, we need you. We need you, our creator and our Redeemer to stir in us something that we have never felt before and that is your presence in us, filling us, giving us life. Because for thousands of years, if we read your story in the Bible, we see that's exactly what happens when your spirit comes into a person. They don't change in the sense of no longer being human, they become the fullness of humanity. They become the fullness of what you created us to be. And that's what we need. So Lord, we need your help. We need your presence to let go of all of that, the stuff that we can't even see, the pride that we can't even see, the the concerns and the doubts and the struggles that sometimes we can't even name so that we can have more of you. that deep down we know that even when you nudge us 
in directions we're not too keen on going. You're doing that because you love us and you care about us. You don't wanna harm us, but you wanna draw us closer. And so Lord, help those of us in this room this morning that are wrestling to wrestle with it, to try to figure out what this means and how this is true. And for those of us who have already taken that step of faith, who consider ourselves Jesus followers, to let you in, let you in in a way that we never have before so that you can change our hearts and our lives. Lord, help us to do this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.